0: Hi, it's Sunday night, and uh, <clears throat> I was originally planning to do a third part about W. C. Hoffman. I can't, couldn't find anybody this week for sponsors. It was a dry spell, so I figured it won't happen. Meanwhile, uh, it's, a way, it's a funny way things work out. I happened to be speaking, communicating with uh, my friend, Shimon Marciano, here in Baltimore, and he... Turns out he's making a bar mitzvah this week for his son, Rafi. And um so he is in... Now, Marciano is really Marciano, You know, they're from Spain. They're real Sephardim. And with a Moroccan background. So he said, if I'll do something for Morocco in honor of the bar mitzvahs, uh, I can do. Uh, I'm not the world's greatest expert in Moroccan rabbis and jewelry, but there are people that know less than me. <coughs> and... Uh, one name immediately jumped to mind. I just had to give it some thought. And I'll do it. I'll cover the cover department for this week. And that's the Carbonarin, which is one of my favorites one. I'm not sure it's so well known, but maybe I'll help to make it a little bit more well known. <coughs> uh, we're dealing with, uh, let me put it this way. <coughs> um, and I hope later on this week, maybe somebody will do, come through for WC Hoffman. We'll see. Or for the partial, or whatever. Now, um, <coughs> I actually had in mind to do something also about Lod Bomber and about Israel. Too many, too many projects. I can't find people for that. The uh, uh, let me say this: Uh, Baltimore, in general, America is a Litvish type place. Yeshivas, even Shimmy Marciano, and they went in there, Israel, you know, to Yeshit the Ashkenazi yeshivas. Generally speaking, we have different Jewish adot, and when it comes to Torah literature. A lot of times, they're parallel universes. <clears throat> so, we're used like to the Litvische Welt and so forth. You can tell me he was the Mashkirch and the Chvez de Pot, in 1900, that kind of thing. Uh, but they don't know what's going on in Morocco. Not really. Or Iraq or Libya or those kind of places. And vice versa. Vice versa. Those Sefadische guys lived in, in their, you know, orbit... And there's some big heavy hitters, as we'll see in a second. Uh, very big Tamecham, all the rest of it. <clears throat> they mostly communicate with each other. Once in a while, not often, you'll find somebody hits such a home run that it crosses the boundaries and hits it out of the park and it goes from stadium A to stadium B. So I might be a big Ashkenaz rabbi and hit something so hard that it goes into the Sephardi stadium. You understand? Like the Mepharshim of the Shulchan for example, the Magad Avram, Taz, people like that, then end up being known all around the world and publish their stuff as publishing in the Sephardi communities. And once in a while, not often, you'll find a Sephardish guy, 1500, 1600, 1700s, not often, especially Morocco, who hits one out of the park so much it lands in the middle of Ashkenazi stadium, if I can use that metaphor. Aren't too many. If you ask the average guy, who do you know, every Ashkenazi guy in Baltimore, a place I get, who do you know from the big Sparta Moroccan Godola. There are plenty of them, nobody's heard of them. Not in our, you know, Lithuania centric type world, Ashkenazi centric type world. I was a couple years ago, maybe 10 years now, I don't remember how long, in Spain and for one day when we were in uh, uh, Gibraltar, so the one part of the trip, the tour that we had, you know, one of the things I lead was uh, to cross over the Straits of Gibraltar into uh, Tangier, Morocco. And we went to Tetuan. And I remember the guy told us there are 600 graves of Gadolib in Morocco, which is true. And I know Moroccan Jews organize these pilgrimages and that kind of business. And they go to all these farm- visiting farms. It's a big deal in Moroccan Jewish culture. But there are those, there are that many. Now, You've never heard of him. I've never heard of him. Maybe Shimon Marciano has. I don't know. Marciano, different do Oh, you know, maybe. But usually most people haven't heard of him. <clears throat> unless you're Mamish, Sfardi Sfardi. No, unless you're Moroccan. Now, Avadiosa doesn't count. He had everything mem- memorized. He's like a computer. I'm not talking about him. But most people don't all the different people in Morocco. But once in a while, <clears throat> somebody, not often, makes a big splash and is known elsewhere. The first name that comes to mind is the Orachayim. <coughs> they call Makadosh. It's funny. The Orachayim was a Moroccan rabbi in 1700s. That's not the one I want to talk about. Chaim Benatar. That's too big of a topic for now. And uh, the Hasidim put him on the map. Because <coughs> the Baal Shemta fell in love with him. And somehow he felt that he's like, you know, the the, the biggest McCubbill. He's got a phone line upstairs. And uh, he understands their result. <coughs> and thanks to the... Uh, what do you call it, thanks to the Baal Shem Tov, who lived far away and never met him, uh, they, the Hasidish uh, book printers put the Orachaim into the Mikras Uh You know, it doesn't really belong here, so to speak. Mikras Gedolas was supposed to be, was originally meant to be the medieval, you know, Rashi, Ibn Ezra, Ramban, and maybe, uh, I don't know, Rajbam, or something like that. Uh, the Orchayim in the 1700s. doesn't matter. It became an Ica part of Hasidus, and after that, He's known to everybody. In fact, the Orachim is like <clears throat> a safer you sowed in studying the Parsha. Agreed? So that's one. I don't think so many people know the other swarm of the uh, uh, of the Orachim so much, uh, with the Rishon see and all that stuff. I don't think so. Now, I'm going to talk about the person today who no one's ever heard of, but they heard of the safer, probably, maybe. And I'm talking about Aaron Ben Chayim. there be Aaron Ben Chaim who's Fifteen hundreds. He's born in the middle of fifteen hundreds in Morocco, but he's Faradi, Spanish, right, like our sponsor today. And I'll tell you in a second what I mean. And uh, he he lived to be close to eighty years old. He died sixteen thirty two in Israel. So he's born in one part of the Mediterranean, died in the other. And he was one of these people that had the good fortune to hit a grand slam home run. He came out with a safer that got very popular among the high scholars throughout the world. And that's the carbon iron on the Sifra, the Torah's calling. And maybe it's not a household word with you, from the big Tami Chacham it is. Okay? So our hero was born in the 1550s in Morocco. That means that the Jews he kicked out of Spain in 1492, right? And some went here, some went there. Some went across the water to the nearest country that was out of the reach of Spain, and that was Morocco. Uh, Morocco was not a country exactly. Morocco has a crazy history. They have all these Arab-type dynasties that are fighting each other right and left. They had these emperors, and dynasties rise and fall. It's like one of these movies. Dynasty A murders Dynasty B, and then eventually Dynasty C kills out Dynasty A that's how the Arab politics goes. Um, and these Moroccan rulers were nuttos. You know, they for fun, you know, they might just go in the street and, and and saw somebody with a saw in half. Or nail somebody to the thing and burn them. They're crazy with power, you know. Because he had to be super ruthless to rise. And um, anyway, this is what the Jews had to put up with. Now, a whole bunch of Jews showed up after 1492 in Morocco. That means that you now have two types of Jews in Morocco. If if you were listening when they did the Tashbites, they had the same problem. You had the locals, and now the Spanish guys show up, the Sparadim. The locals, I think, were called the Toshavim, and the new guys are called the Magorashim, the guys from the Gerush of Sparad. The thing is, the Jews who left uh, Spain and came to Morocco included... Some big heavy hitters tell me to chacham them. Way beyond the level of the local rabbis and whatever they had in Morocco. Just like in 1391, same thing happened in Algeria. Okay? So that's a recipe for fights. And you have to remember from 1492 to 1592 it was pretty much the golden age it was Friday Shagadolum. You know, I just said something interesting. It's like a galaxy, you know, the the, these guys who left in 1492 and their children and grandchildren were big deals. You know the the era of Yosef Caro. Let's say, to use a simple term, to you understand? There are a lot of these big Spanish I mean Spanish, they talk Ladino, and they're to Tahrim. Notice they didn't stay behind and convert and then leave later on like the Spanish Portuguese Jews. These are the guys who bit the bullet and left all their money behind in Spain. Lashem Shemaim and so forth, you know, you got, you got to give them credit. They gave up everything. Now, many of them went to Turkey. I'm talking about the ones who went to Morocco. <clears throat> so when they came to Morocco, in general, wherever the sphinom showed up, they imperialized. They tried to. <clears throat> Basically, say, said, look, guys, we're here. You guys are a bunch of Amoratsim compared to us, which was not false. Therefore, we want you to drop all your Mahogam and pick up our stuff. A lot of the men hugging you picked up our Knege to Gamora. You had dumbbells over the previous century. We are showing up now. We now learn better than you. We were organize Jewish life. The locals said, "You guys can drop dead." And their big fights went on for a long time. Eventually, what had to happen was that wherever you were, in Morocco, there were always two communities: A and B. One was their local, the natives, and one was the Spanish guys, the Lusparadim. I mean, over the course of many centuries, they intermarried. You know, but still, you will definitely find in Morocco, from the Moroccan Jews, Spiridine from Spain. Your mom should go back. You know what I'm saying? That's how it is. So, um, our hero was born in Fez in the 1550s. So that is 60 years after 1492. So that's already like the grandchildren, you know, something like that. Now it's 2022. Imagine I'm talking about somebody from the 1960s. You know, like that. So, the process that I described was well advanced. And you had two sets of communities over there. And the Spanish Jews kept to themselves or whatever. And uh, they proceeded, in typical Sephardi style, to organize life in the Spanish way, which is very strong basins, you understand? Make taconas and this kind of stuff. There's a whole history in Moroccan Jewry with the they call Takhanas ham, in which these based Beisdins, which included heavy hitters in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, even the 1900s, made takanas which would surprise you. Many people don't know about this stuff. I'm talking in terms of getting Kedushin, Yvomis, Ksubis, Chosham, Mishpat, Eben <clears throat> They're very Takif. Uh, let me tell you this. <clears throat> I remember from the... Uh, What's that book called? Uh, Seder time. Seder. Uh, Kedushan the Suin. From our Ar, Freiman. Aram Freiman. Excellent savior. And he talks about. Afkino Abad ala Kedushamene. And you know. You'll say like this. Well we don't do. Afkino Abad ala Kedushamene. To annul. A uh, a marriage without a get. Uh, we don't do that. At least formally. It's supposed to be. You don't do that. Well guess what? In Morocco. These firearms I guess, we're making certain tachanas to protect the woman. Anybody messes around with this stuff, we're going to have kinemba conditioning. You have to understand, it's absolutely necessary because the whole situation in Spain was—I'll just give you an example. Suppose you have a guy that's uh, married and uh, doesn't have any children. If he dies, his wife's going to be need give him. Well, guess what? The brothers back in Spain. Maybe the brother the Catholic now. Who knows what's going on? This was the disruption that happened to the spiritual life, which was not their fault. So they would say like this: if this if this guy gets a cold, <laughs> or we would say, you know, uh, is in bed, the basin shows them so I guess you have to divorce your wife to save her from the from 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 the ibn. Now, if you recover, you get married again, but you get sick again, you're going to divorce your wife. You don't do that, we're going to do about Baruch Kedishma in you. In other words, we'll do what it takes to save your wife and begin a Gura. That's a very typical Desvartish thing, the Takans Magarasha. And they had all kind of, it's a, it's a whole parasha most people not familiar with. Okay? And they added to these things in every area of life. You know, I remember Simchasab has a whole thing in this. And Yerusha is, you know, what, like, no, they act like a mini Sanhedrin, <coughs> which means they had a living tradition of the Toshua you get it? They're a living tradition, and they can make very far-reaching things. About them, a bezdut's Okay, so that's the world in which our hero grew up, or Aaron Ben Chaim. And clearly, was from the scholarly class, and he learned by these big Spartish rabbis that no one's ever heard of. You know, Almas Nino and the others in Morocco, and it became a big Hamilchacham, and he lived in Morocco in Fez and um he taught you know he did a rabbinical things <laughs> but clearly <clears throat> first of all he had a very clear mind that you'll see in a second and a good writer and <clears throat> you know let's put it this way an original type of mind is looking for an area where can I do that somebody else hasn't done before. Sometimes they call it a mes mitzvah no there's nobody else is looking into this. Maybe I will. And he picked a, a, a hard nugget, a hard nut, to bite on, and that was the Book of Vayikra and the Torah's colonics. <laughs> Happened to be, that was, <clears throat> one of the reasons I'm I'm doing the carbon iron, <clears throat> is, um, because I was thinking of Hoffman, and Hoffman did a lot of work on Vayikra, um, uh, in the context of using Chazal to fight the Bible criticism and so forth, <clears throat> which I hope to get to one day. But, um, the Sefer Yikra is very technical, as you all know. There's such a thing called Halachik Midrashim, Medrash which Hoffman wrote a book on. That's the Mechil <clears> to <throat> This is not identical with what most people call Medrash. But most people use the word Medrash. Like the Medrash says, they have in mind, most of the time, the Medrash <clears> Rabba, the <throat> Medrash Which, for want of anything better, I'll call them stories. It's not a good way to... In, define it, but you know what I mean. They're not halachic. But the Mechilta, the Seferon and Sifri are halachic, with the following difference. The Mechilta, which is on the Book of Shmos, and the Sifri, which is on worm is like, I don't know, let's say let's say two-thirds, one-third. Two-thirds halachic stuff, like Bryce's and halachic technicalities, and one-third, maybe more, of Agadotah. There's plenty of I got it in in, in the Mithilta and in in the Sifri. Plenty. Good stuff. Now, by contrast, the Sifra, which is also called the Torah's Konoim, they're the same book, which is Tanaitic. All these things are composed by the Tanoim. That's very authoritative. The Gemara quotes these things. The Gemara uses it, calls it Tana Rabana. That doesn't mean every Tana Rabana is is one of these, but every one of these is called Tana Rabana. Uh... You know, you look on the side and they you going know, with the source and they'll show you. And the sifra, by contrast, is like ninety nine percent. If I remember correctly, I mean, I very little agata there. It's like ninety <clears> nine percent <throat> halacha, and it's halacha in a very technical kind of business, because you know what's in vayikra? It's uh, mostly uh, carbonas, and it's uh, a <clears throat> tumatira, right? Need a tumatira of all various sorts. Just think, va'yikor tzav and so forth. When you get to kedushim, it's a little more variegated. Then you get to this week's parsha, which is Baha'i, You're going to get all the Shemitah stuff. It's very technical, uh, and it's necessary to know if you want to learn, you know, any of these uh, kacham uh, and tirus type things. I remember many, many years ago. Well, let me let me let me put it this way. So. This is very hard not to, to, to crack. Because first of all, you have to know your Kutchum well. And second of all, notice you have to know Shas. The, those parts of Kutchum and Tyrus. Which is not easy. The Tyrus, for example, is not a Gemara. <clears throat> so you have to learn everything with the Rambam and the Rash. It's technical. <clears throat> Just, what can I, and Zeroyim is also part of it. It's technical. What can I do? And um, to master is not push it. And there weren't any good Mepharshamah. I mean, let, 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 let me put it this way. There's a Ravid Pirish on it, which is pretty good. Uh, but it's usually like a Cinderella. No, you, there's no Rashi on it. Let me put it that way. <laughs> let me add one more point. The beginning of the Torah's Kanim is this thing that we say every day in the end of Ezeh Mekomen. Rishmolim and all that. And you just rattle it off, and you don't necessarily know what it means. And if you read the art school, sitter, it used very technical language, and most people don't know what exactly is going on. Moreover, there are debates in Chazal of the exact gedarm of each and every one of these things. What exactly, for example, <clears throat> is Igzai Does it have to be Mufna Mishneh can it be Mufna Rol? Does it have to be Mufna you know, Mitzharachal? It's technical. It's called the hermeneutical rules, which means there are rules that we understand, going back to Tarshav HaPed, that God told Moshe of how to interpret uh, and tease out of the text of the Chumash various rules and halachas They're not there explicitly, but they're like in an in encoded form. Let's put it that way. Like a certain encoded form in the text. Uh, in a Pasha. And yet, they're used all over Shasta, one place or another. And the Torah's economy consists a lot of this. Um, you know, when you see this in the Gemara, I think I've said this before. There's a certain style, especially in Sifri. There's, it says like this There's a Pussy and it means so and so. And the Gemara like this It means so and so? How do you know mean so and so? Maybe it means that and that instead of so and so. No, you want to say, No, you can't say it means that and that. It has to mean so and so because this and this. Because it says this and this. <laughs> Therefore, it says so and so. You ever see this kind of Gemara's? It's like fun because takes up 10, 15 lines, <laughs> and it's not hard to follow. <laughs> um, you know, now, uh, that is the meat and potatoes of the the, the Halachic Midrashah, and especially <clears throat> the Sifra. Like I said, the Ravid the publisher, I don't know if even the raivet's peers was out at that time. <clears throat> but our hero, he said, I want to do a thorough job when explaining This mesecta, I'm this medrish halachic medrish, the Sifra, which Rashi, as you know, quotes all the time. It's hard, and make a long story short, he did a masterpiece. What's famous is he spent years on it, and then there used to be a printing press in Morocco, but was burned in a fire in the 1520s, and so if you wanted to get a safer published. I mean, a printing press, you had to go to Italy. <clears throat> At the time, he was there the main place uh, in the late 1500s, very early 1600s. So that would mean he would be, like, around 50 years old. So you can see, here's a guy that spent decades learning of a storm with Big Reban in Morocco. Moreover, he was part of the Bay's That itself tells you a lot. You know, he was a, a dying. With the gadola. So just think of the shadows that they had to deal with all the time. And in the best Sephardi style, which is cut the baloney, cut right away a sukkah, schweinz and leave it a And you can imagine the type of questions that you had in the wake of the Spanish Inquisition and the persecutions, plus the Meshuggah the Gaim over there. The Rock and Gaim were bad news, you know. I mean, the Jews, let me put it this way. So a lot of taconus had to do with, you know, don't get the guy angry at us, uh, sumptuary laws. I remember one of them says like this You can't wear fancy jewelry because you drive the poor Jews mad. A naim kalos or something like that. And they say you can't show up in the shul, be a schmo, and dress to the nines, and you know the other people in the show can't even afford a chalik of this, and you make them feel bad. Now, there's a certain type of person, certain type of Jews, so I guess. Oh, I want to come to the show and make them feel bad. <laughs> but that's bad. That's wrong. And so they make taekhanas against that. So, he really was an experienced Talmud a He taught gave shiun, uh, And he was involved in all these Takanas. So, you know, he was an experienced, seasoned spider of Talmud But on his own, he wrote up this thing on, on, on the Sifra, uh, and he said like this, here's Karka Basula. No one else has written on this. This will be of use to anybody who wants to Attack the the Sifra, meaning uh, to try to learn it. Uh, I'll make it possible by writing, let's call it a Rashi. It's not like a Rashi, but something like that. So in order for this to happen, he had to go to Italy where they had Jewish printing presses. And he went to Venice. And he spent a couple years in Venice. That time I would say Venice was at the height of its Torah fame. He was at the time there with Zaria Figo, uh, Leona de Modena. All these uh, big all these uh, big famous Italian So it's just very interesting, because here's a guy who shows up from Morocco, uh, dressed in Moroccan style with the turban and all that. Here he is in Venice, where they're Italian Jews dressed Italian. But Venice was an entrepot; Venice was a, a commercial center, so they were used to having people from all over the place. And he didn't stand out too much. Clearly, he was Jewish. So they hang around the ghetto. And they must have communicated in the Navrit. It's just an interesting scene that they would see this. Now, mind you, Venice had a lot of Sephardim on their own. But these Sephardim by the 15, by early 1600s were totally and They spoke Spanish and Ladino. But they dressed and all this did westernize. Venice is just very interesting in this regard. But they would have great regard for somebody dressed in the Moroccan style the way American Jews or German Jews would have of a Hasidic rabbi came in, as long as he's neat, dressed in East European costume, you know, with shrema, kapata, a and all that. And he came there, and he wowed them, because he was talking with them and learning. I'm talking about the Bin al-Itim, uh, uh, the Madana, the Simcha all those guys. He wowed them, and they helped him. But they did him a favor, Because he had already written like the first version of it and the second version of it. That itself is huge. Must have taken years of his commentary on there. And when he was in Venice, he saw they were deeply into learning. And his peerish was too much like a kahati. I'm going to say something that was a shame. Because I wish he would have kept it that way. Too much of a kahati. And he saw these guys, if you're going to get their respect, you got to put in a lot of Pilipo and Lombus. That's is the way the Yeshiva system was in Italy and elsewhere. So really, to write a Kahati or a Steinzels means you have to know a lot. You have to know a lot. But he said, i got to show who I am. And so he rewrote it. He spent two years in, in um, Venice, or maybe three years, rewriting the whole book. It's a fat book. Um... Uh, with sticking in all the alumnus, which means he knew how to do that. I'm not exactly sure precisely how he did it, because at that time the Pope was nuts and they asked all the Gomorrahs in, in Venice, in Italy. So that's a it's a complicated question. He, did he have the book smuggled him or not? Well we'll leave that out for in a moment. But here's a guy in the middle, right, of the early sixteen hundreds, and he works to rework the book into a fat thing to supply all the relevant sugars and alumnus. And Mafalfa and Alder and so on and so forth. And eventually published it called Carbonaro. That's what he called the name. Uh, this book is fantastic. I myself, when I uh, had to do the art scroll, Kachem um, stuff was Zvachim, I think. I remember. Did part of Zvachim, whatever it was. I remember uh, I had to have Carbonaro with me every minute. Uh, if you have somebody's, but, but it was a chicken scratch. It was a pain in the neck to read the old print. You can imagine what the old print looked like back in the 1600s. They used to redo it. I think it was published once in Germany in the 1750s. These are old, you know, not, not good print. And so there was a contrast. I remember it drove me crazy because there was stuff in Zwachim and Menachos, what I didn't understand. You know, when you do the art school, you got to go to very deeply, you know, uh, to to cover all the angles. There's things that didn't work for me. And a lot of it is based on the Torah's Conin. And when I got the carbon iron, I remember it's there. Rabbi Rudman told me many years ago when I was much younger, he said, because they told him once I'm learning something in caution, he said, Oh, you have to stop on the carbon iron. On the carbon can not thing. Without the carbon I can't understand it. I had no idea what he told me what the carbon iron was, but I made it my business to find out. But they yeshiva had the old edition, which it was everybody had, which was a pain in the neck to read. But if you plow through it, it's really good. Okay? Uh, this made him famous. Because this book eventually spread outside of Venice. A copy spread into the Ashkenaz land. <clears throat> and it went to Poland and Lithuania and all that. I'm talking about the 1600s. And they said, wow. <laughs> wow. First of all, n- not too many people were into all altogether. In those centuries by the Ashkenazim, the Gadolim were always complaining, people learning, um not the Shibshimasechtis so much, but the uh, Zikin, because they wanted to be on Din Torahs and make money. The common complaint of the Ashkenazi Gachorin. Uh So not too many people were into Kachin. And those, if they were, it was hard to plow through the, uh, I mean, it can be done, but it's hard to plow through the uh, Torahs Taurus here came a great guy. Because I'll tell you right now, I sound like I'm selling copies of this, the carbonate is fantastic, okay? And what he does is he goes every line in the in the, in the sifra, and he goes through the whole sugya from top to bottom, and he's a fantastic writer, in my humble opinion. He's a Gvaldica writer, so he had a clear mind. It's actually a pleasure to read. And, you know, it's not up and down and then out. And he takes you through the stuff. Now, it's an avoda, because these are difficult sugyas, the, 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 the gemaras, and he has cautious and truthsome of his own. You know how to write it that way. i tell you, that's the way he rewrote it when he was in Venice. And the result is you have a, a fantastic safer. Now, here's the thing. This was republished maybe 10 years ago in Israel by the... Uh, Zichron Aaron is called, you know, that outfit that does the old classics. What a Machiah. It's a game changer. It's very similar in my mind to the new Milch Hasenek. Remember the old Milch Hasenek? Are you old enough to remember that? Yeah. Very hard to read. Very hard to read. And the new Mechanskinek was a game changer. Same thing. I'm telling you now. Uh you should get to Carbon There's It's two volumes. I have it in front of me with Hagos from this and that and the other. But the Hagos is not the thing. They have nice print. they 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 changed it. Yom Velila. This is something. Uh <laughs> I don't know if it's for a bar Mitzvah boy, but on the other hand. If somebody has, let's say, for example, like Marciano has the uh Parshish Bahar, you could do worse than do one little piece of Parshish Bahar with the Carbonara. You see how 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 it's done right. Okay, it's very fat book. And he did a lot of work over here. But I it, it it's I, I remember there was stuff I couldn't understand. And I we went through the carbonara, I couldn't understand it. Bididi Habiyubda. Uh moreover, I want to say this. This is also famous among those who know <clears throat> he has at the beginning a full thorough job of the Yud Gimel Midos of Rishmah and all that kind of stuff you understand he's got the Gansa business uh, which Kamar's bring it down what the problems are how, uh, what the exceptions are and so forth He's very, very good. I think most look, I'm not the smartest person. As far as I'm aware, this is the best work on the on the me This, I think that's what they say. Maybe I'm out of date, maybe somebody else has written something better recently, but classically, there was a the carbon iron. And uh so you see I'm a big fan of this. And uh this made his this made his reputation. Afterwards he left uh um Venice after a couple of years. They went to Egypt eventually in Israel. And, you know, he did his thing. So, And he wrote some others for him also. I've never seen him. I know, I know he wrote a peer from the book of Yeshua. And I know there's a guy in Israel. I don't have it in front of me now. I saw it once. There are two professors in Israel that do scholarly articles in Karmadon. One is Professor Moshe Amar, who's Moroccan himself. Then the other guys that weirdo or Don Minor, Professor Don Menor, also Moroccan, but he, he had a very unusual life. He like made Aliyah when he was a little kid when Israel became a state. They put him in a literary yeshiva. he wouldn't learn Yiddish, they kicked him out, they beat him up. It's a whole story. But eventually he made himself a PhD. These are Moroccans with PhDs who write about Moroccan jewelry. Why not? Why not? The others aren't doing it. You see? Everybody spends a hundred years writing about the Litvisha guys or the Pilisha guys, which is fine, which is fine. Not too many people do about the Chachme Morocco. Now, the person I'm talking about is obviously among the biggest of them, but it's not a household name. You see how it works. Uh, a peerish, especially a, a big peerish, or something, a kind him, not going to be a household name, but it should be more widely known than it is. And I'll tell you again, it is. I feel. I feel good just picking this up. It's so nice print, and everything is so well organized by him that it's it's just a pleasure to read. <laughs> Let me tell you something. All the people who wrote in the Torah's condom after it all used the carbon iron. Look at the Chavis Chaim. He says he used it. You know, the Chavis Chaim's was saying, in fact. I would say the Chavis Chaim's Pirushon. This thing is mostly derived in the carbon iron. That's that's what it is. Other people. Also, I've done that. The Malbim I don't know. The Malbim may have gone his own way. I think he did a mom did it like his own way. But many people have used the carbon iron. So I'm taking you into the world today, what they call the halachic midrashim. It's a, a different world. It's a certain genre for specialists. Like the Michilta what they call the Merkebis Mishnah. But that's not the regular Merkebis Mishnah on the Rambam. I did him. it's a different person. There's a world of these Mepharsham, not so well-known on the uh, Michalta the Sivron, the But the Carbonara is well-known because wherever there are people, even in Poland, Lithuania and all that, in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, if they had stuff to do with Kotcham, one of the things you want to see besides the Bircha HaSadzevach and all the rest of it, one of the things you want to see is the Carbonara. Okay? Uh, I remember who it is, Professor Menor or somebody, wrote a thing that, uh, that our hero is a rationalist. Which wouldn't surprise me, because he writes very clear. But that I mean, there's old question, in the 1500s among the Sephardim, how much to relate to the Kabbalah. We always associate the Spider with Kabbalah, especially Morocco. But even among them, there were those who were more I don't want to call rationalists because that might be too strong of a term. But we're more into Nigla, let's put it that way, which our hero is definitely one. And whenever you get to these kind of questions of how to read this, and I got a ton all the rest of it, they would do it in a more Nigla type way. And then there were those who were more in the Nister type way, you know. Uh, and he's got Drushas. I've never seen him. I would like to see them. <clears throat> I know that Carbonair had a fate that there's a hesped for him. It's very famous in uh, Azaria Figo, in the Benelitim. And it's a classic type of a certain hesped, which to me is funny. Azaria Figo was the big rabbi in Venice who, who wrote the classic Book of Drush, the Benelitim, which includes a number of Hespits. Hespitim. Uh, again, in the, in the literature of Jewish, which is a certain genre, there are like three biggies. There's the Binolethan Ozari Figo, there's the, uh, what's the name, the Cleochrist thing, uh, Ola Sephriyim, and uh, there's Yonah Shanemshitz on the uh, Yaris Raj. These are the classics of the Jewish literature. And each one is a certain style. And the Binolethan is very formal, very baroque, It's very nice in its way. Has his own features I've talked about it before, and one of the famous things is he has a long haspid for the carbon iron. But it's one of these yeshivasha type haspids, and it's funny to me because he knew the carbon iron was yeshivasha type haspids where there's almost nothing said about the nifter. <laughs> he goes up and down, over and over, around the through talking about you know life and death, and Moshe Rabbeinu when he died and he didn't die, and it's Adikin. And described as Sadikim and all that kind of thing, you know, and full of maimer khazals in his classic baroque fashion. I mean, he's got this way of, of writing. Either you like it or you don't, but he's very good, very high Hebrew style. But only to, only when you get to the end does he say, Me, after ten pages, he's talking about everything but the carpet. iron, and he says, now. Now we can talk about the greatness of this deceased. everybody knew about how great a Tom. he was we in Venice, malo, right? And his his farm uh, stand above him, meaning meaning everybody uh, is, is aware of it safer. So how can a me, an insignificant mosquito, Be a guy like him, you know. But he's a very nice. He said, but we all remember he was a nice guy. He had good Mitos. which is interesting, right? I'm sure you know the Gemara says the nifter is there. The 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 spirit of of the nifter is there, and I know he's here talking. He's happy. We're talking about him. Not because he needs the cover, because he realizes for us even to be masterful it him is a cover for us. And he was a nice guy. He liked the other people to have cover, which is a classy way to say it. But the bottom line, he didn't talk about the Nifter. <laughs> which I've seen many times at Hespits. So, uh, one of the lesser known, but should be well known, is Rabban Benchain of Fez of Morocco. Uh, Nowadays, anybody's interested in anything I just said, you have the luxury now of getting from the Zikron from the new print, the Torah's cunning with the carbon arab. It is um, a certain way of learning Chumash or Gemar, depending what you're talking about, to learn the Sifra. Um, one of the things people should do when they're going to the Torah is they have an agenda. To do Michalta Sifron Sifri, these are classics, and all the Gedolim of yesteryear used to say the guy of to Sefta Michalta Sifron Sifri. That's the whole the Torah literature, and um, it's just like if you don't know the Masechta, it's the same thing. You don't know the the Sifri. In our times, I would say, a lot of people. Who are interested in this, not so many are, but those who are usually use the Malbim. That's what I think. Because the Malbim is mainly a perish on these halachic Uh It's mainly on the Michalda of Seferi, particularly in the Book of Dvarim. You look at the Malbim, you see what I'm talking about. Uh, Rashi, you know, selectively quotes from the Torah's Khanim very nicely, you know, whatever you need for his shot. But there's a lot more in to the Torah's Khanim than what Rashi quotes. It's probably late. Now we're about to finish by midboard. Sorry, Bahar and Bahu Kosai. The Bar Mitzvah boy is going to be Bahar. Um, but maybe sometime in the future, next year or something like that. Or let me put it this way. Soon you're going to start by Midbar. Uh One way of doing by midboard is to do with the Safri. Okay? Um, if you get the, uh, you're going to laugh at what I'm about to say. If you get the new moms within the Nakudos... The whole de Sifron Sivri is a good. In the Malbim. I don't know why they haven't published it in a separate volume, but for some reason they haven't. Right? And you can, uh, you know, go through it that way. If you want to be uh, deeper, uh, more heavy approach, in other words, make a Seder in it with somebody, you could do a lot worse than making a Seder in the... You could do a lot worse than making a Seder with somebody, but you need two serious guys know how to learn in <clears throat> and, um, the Taurus calling him with the carbon iron. The truth is you'd have a lot of fun. Now I'm talking about people now learn. Be a very serious kind of a limud and uh, you know you'd have to pull the gemaras out as they say. But he, he is a, a very clear Vemakai He reminds me of what's the other guy in the Shmuel Yaf Ashkenazi you know in the Agadita. They have this, like I say, if you have a clear mind, you write well, write clearly, it doesn't matter. Ashkenazi, to Chinese, it don't matter. Some people have the gift, and other people, not so much. You know, the golf and Tangents, it's hard to follow that. I never found that myself in the Carbon Iron. So, uh, with that, I uh close. And, uh, like I say, tomorrow there'll be a rush on the Swarm Stores for the Carbon Iron. There's two volumes. But uh, I hope this will be of, how should I put it, a tribute to the memory of one of the really big Moroccan gadolin of the last 500 years. Uh, Not many swarm of theirs hit the top market, but the carbonara certainly did. Anyway, with that, once again, I want to thank the family and uh, wish the bar mitzvah boy will fall to, this week will be the bar mitzvah, um, Parshas Bahar, with that, I wish you a very good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbydovidcats.com.